0: Thanks for tuning into the Sweet Sounds podcast. This is the show where we talk to band directors, musicians, promoters, and all sorts of other movers and shakers in the Colorado music scene.
1: In this episode, we sat down with Denon Slage Cook. Part of what makes music so special for me is the community, which is something we can get into a little bit later. It's it's a community unlike any other.
0: Denon is a multi-instrumentalist, an author, and is currently working on his doctorate dissertation. We discuss how he organizes working with so many other musicians, how he accidentally wrote a book, and more. Check it out. Welcome to the show, Denon. Um, super glad to have you here. I know you're a Fairly busy man, so thanks for making time for us.
1: <laughs> oh, it's my treat. I'm glad to be here, and always good to hang with you guys.
0: Awesome, man. So, for those who don't know who Denon Coke is, why don't you give us a little rundown of who you are and what you're about?
1: Sure. Well, I'm actually going to correct you really quick because okay. everybody makes this mistake. and It's not your fault. It's Denon Cook. Cook. And yeah, it's oh, everybody really? does that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a German spelling, and um, my. Uh, my great-grandparents came through Ellis Island in, like, the 30s or 20s or okay. something um, and from Germany, and they would have been Koch back in the day. Right. Um, but when they went through Ellis Islands, they were Americanized, and they were told that their last name is Cook now. So wow. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, my apologies it's for the mistake. No problem. Everybody makes a mistake. <laughs> All right. So, Den and Cook, who are you, and what are you about?
1: Uh I am a guitar player, a educator, and a composer. Uh, I grew up in southeastern Washington State, um, kind of a couple hours from Seattle, on the east side of the state. Um, been all over the country playing guitar with various things: um, Colorado Symphony, uh, Ryan Keberle, um, you know, a bunch of a bunch of people all over the place. Uh, Steve Guerra, uh, all these um, these musicians all over the place. Um, I write music for for bands all over the country as well. Um, and right now I'm working on my doctorate at the University of Northern Colorado, um, which is how I got connected with you guys here yeah. in Greeley. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that's just kind of the basis of who I am. Um, I'm a cat guy, uh, no kids, but two cats and a wife. Nice. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's who I am, uh, right now. I, like I mentioned, I have a bunch of different hats that I wear day to day, whether I'm writing music or teaching music or, um, playing guitar with someone or something or whoever we are. Um. Uh, but yeah, that's that's Denon is in a in a nutshell. I okay, guess. <laughs> cool. Right on. So when did you let you know? Let's go kind of far back uh, through African marimba ensembles. Oh, so okay. like um, you know tunes only major scale only no chromatic notes or anything like that. Um, you know basically sophisticated xylophone um, with like a really unique kind of sound to it. Um, and so I always found that really fascinating. That we could get to play him in elementary school music class and try those things. And he also played guitar. He plays. I shouldn't say played because he's he's still alive. Um, oh okay. <laughs> but yeah. but he plays guitar as well. And um, he uh, uh, would play in class It's, it's kind of like interlude. Musicist kind of had a guitar in his hand. And I was like, oh, this is this is so cool. Like, I just thought it was cool. Um, maybe around third or fourth grade. it, it was funny. I think I actually. Figured out that I was pretty good at music naturally before I really cared, because um, I, I could kind of like pick out little melodies and tunes and just put them on the on the marimba um, without really thinking about it too hard. Um, and then one day I was just kind of doing that, messing around after school, and um, uh, you know Walt came out of his office and was like, "How did you how'd you do that?" And at that point I just thought kind of like, you know, everybody could kind of just hear a melody and just kind of play it. It's just like this is not. Hard. This is just what you do.
0: Do you have perfect pitch? Yes. That's okay. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um,
1: uh, and and so it was kind of like, oh, that's cool, I guess, and whatever. Um, uh, so about the same time as that, I found um, my dad's old guitar. My dad had played a little bit in college, um, not professionally or even in an organized way. Um, I think he was just trying to impress girls yeah but more um, of a, a hobby <laughs> yeah yeah kind yeah of thing. He okay, using cool. a motley crew and nice uh, rat, rat. <laughs> i was gonna yeah. say that's that's <laughs> definitely up jen's alley for sure oh yeah. totally all the 80s stuff rat and white snake and stuff like that so poison yep yeah, poison <laughs> give me some brad michael's <laughs> <laughs> well i i found his guitar and it was a i still remember it's a kramer uh striker 200 Um, it's now been deconstructed and the neck is attached to an Epiphone, uh, SG body that I just made just, just for fun. I actually, I actually played it on a gig a couple weeks ago and surprised it didn't fall apart. That's Um, cool. So, so that was kind of fun. But anyways, um, I found his guitar and I didn't know what I was doing. I just kind of strummed things and I tuned the strings, um, or at least I thought I was tuning the strings so that when I strummed it, it would sound like some song I'd heard Walt play. Um. And I didn't find out until later that, of course, as you know, the Kramers all have locking headstocks. Right. So I didn't actually do Did anything nothing. except <laughs> break all the strings. But awesome. Um, <laughs> um, so, anyways, those two things kind of go at the same time. Um, so when I really decided to care about music, or decided knew that I cared about music, I um, it was actually uh, through Walt's. Kind of elementary school marimba band. He had a fourth grade band and a fifth grade band that would of 12 kids that would play his arrangements and his originals and stuff like that. Um, and some traditional African music, which I'm now looking back, realizing, like, wow, that was what an amazing opportunity and experience for, you know, a 10 year old to get to experience that. Yeah. Um, but I was in the fifth grade band mm-hmm. and we went to um, we went to perform at the National Music Educators Association Conference in Boston. It was in Boston that year. Um and he, i think walt had been accepted to do a clinic or something like that and then we did like a mezzanine performance um after that and there was something about um that performance and i i still remember it to this day it was a um it was um this this kind of weird moment on the um um on the mezzanine of this hotel where we did this um this performance And we played the song called Isotayopano, which is like an African traditional song, like a call and response kind of thing. Uh, And I had the call part. Um, So I'm sitting there and, you know, it's like three in the afternoon. No one's really paying attention. Everyone's kind of going about their business. Um, But, man, something about that sound in that room, um, the band just totally locked. Like, in a weird way, like I've rarely experienced since. Like, you know, these are like 10-year-olds or maybe 11 year olds playing this music. And it's just like that one gig, they were so, we were so slamming and I don't know what that was or how it (laughs) happened or, um, you know, how to get back to that. I'm still trying to figure it out, but, um, it was just like, Oh my God, what is this? Just like the way it felt and the sound in the room, um, was like, Oh my God, I have to know what this is kind of thing. Like, what is this? And, and so for me, that was kind of the moment where it was like, like, I can't, do anything else like I have to do this like yeah. this is this is just what it is um and there had been various times you know since then in middle school high school and I thought maybe I should do something that would be profitable um but uh it's so far so good and um been good so far um so that's kind of the the origin story of how I became interested in music and um the guitar thing was still going along at the same time and just because it was around I ended up doing that as my main thing as because I had one um Throughout the years, uh, when I was still kind of growing up, I played in uh, uh, Trinidadian steel drum bands. I played in, you know, obviously jazz combos, rock groups, um, marching bands. Concert band. Basically, any opportunity I had to make music was like, I should do this like because I enjoy it and this is great. Um, and and for a while, it, it kind of took me a while to realize that maybe um, – you know, maybe part of what makes music so special for me is the community, which is something we can get into a little bit later. Is it's like it's a community unlike any other with people you're making music with. Um, but that was that was kind of how I became interested in music. Was like a you know a ten year old kid, you know, basically hitting a um, a sophisticated xylophone, um, you know, in a room with bunch of people and I should mention too that when we started playing like all these college kids just like lost their minds um and they like freaking out coming and and we didn't really know what was going on um looking back now I realized that Walt somehow played had us playing in like nine Mm -hmm. and seven and five and these really crazy time signatures and I just didn't
0: as 10 year olds yeah and
1: we we didn't know I was just like this is what this sounds like that this is just what you do yeah um I still don't understand how he, he did that, but I, I owe him a lot um, for getting me interested in that. And um, yeah, I think that answers the question. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, well, that's <laughs> great, did, man.
0: So how did you move... What was the progression moving from you know African marimba to jazz?
1: Oh, okay, so moving from that to jazz, I think um, I just had really, really awesome music educators all through high school and middle school and elementary school. So after I graduated from Sunset View Elementary um, I went to um, I went to uh, a, a middle school who had a really great band director but at the same time I also transitioned to doing um, like I mentioned the Trinidadian steel groups uh, and that was run by a gentleman named Ben Leggett um, another great educator who kind of like Walt used these percussion instruments that were relatively easy to play and had a really low barrier to entry to teach like more advanced musical stuff like rhythm harmony you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and I, I remember him like, you know, I'd ride with him in the car on the way to gigs and stuff like that. And at that time I was still playing guitar. So I was checking out, um, you know, Ozzy Osbourne and, and um, Led Zeppelin and Guns N' Roses were like my bands. And I still oh think, I still think Jimmy Page just like, you know, he's not very good at guitar, but he's like the best musician ever. I just yeah, love, I love yeah, him. Absolutely. I love him so much. Um, and, um, i remember i would ride with ben on the in the car on the way to the performance of the steel, this uh steel drum group and um he would just play records in the car and uh one musician he always that always seemed to come up a lot was pat metheny um the guitarist pat metheny um who uh had his i mean I, I can't say enough about him but he's had a you know a 40 50 year career in improvising music um and he would always put it on and be like oh what is this, this is kind of interesting like uh, this is amazing, um, this music. Uh, and then I got to high school, still doing the steel drum thing. I had a band director named Jason Rose. Um, and at this time, I, like, didn't really know what I was doing with the guitar, but uh, I had somehow managed to, maybe in the same way with, that I had with a marimba thing, just, like, figured out how to kind of play whatever. Um, it wasn't really um, – the te- the, for some reason, the technical part of playing the instrument was not a challenge for me in particular, um so so here's a you know a 14 year 15 year old kid who can you know play guitar pretty good he has no idea what he's doing or what he's playing and looking back he sounds terrible but um um <laughs> he he can play the instrument um so he uh in the high school jazz band again that I just kind of did because it was like I wanted to do as much music as possible um uh he he programmed this piece called if i could this Pat Metheny piece um, and I just remember checking that out to learn kind of what he did and like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. It's so cool. I'm going to check out like more of this guy. Like I've heard some of it. And I like got I got more into it. It was like, oh, my God, like like this is it. Like something about the way that music was recorded, the way it was produced. The, his playing, the way the guitar sounded, the way the instruments were interacting, was just like mind blowing to me, and it still is. It's it's amazing, just incredible music. Um, so I got really into Matheny, and from there, I started checking out. Well, if you okay, if you, you know, I have people tell me if you like Matheny, you should check out Wes Montgomery. If you like Wes Montgomery, you should check out John Coltrane. You should check out Duke Ellington. You should check out Count Basie. You check out Horace Silver, um, and from there, it just kind of expanded, um, and. Um, to the point where I just like, you know, loved all of it and got really interested in you know, the other way they interact, all these really colorful chord voicings, these interesting harmonies, um, this really, uh, amazing rhythmic thing that, um, I think is the most amazing thing about jazz is rhythm. And I'm, again, just like with all of this, I'm still really trying to figure out what that is. Um, and I'm sure that if you ask me again in 50 years, God willing, if I make it that far, um, I'll probably say the same thing. Yeah. Um, I'm still trying to figure it out. Um but really it was just an organic process of just doing as much music as I can until something really struck a nerve with me.
0: Awesome. Well, and you've played with a lot of people and you continue to play with a lot of people, you know. Um how do you how do you stay organized <laughs> with it? All? How do you, how do you keep track of all yeah. of the different pieces and sure. you know everything like that? Well,
1: I, the first thing I always tell people is um, I am I'm a young guy. I grew up in the digital age, but there is something about a pen and paper planner that is just, you got to have it. It's just something about writing it down, the process of writing it down and having it in a physical place to go look at is just really, really helpful to me. Um, so so that's, that's number one, just staying organized in terms of like where I need to be, when, with what equipment or whatever. Um, the, second, the second part of that is um, kind of just, being ready for anything at any time and and that is a thing that has a lot of different um, elements to it but the first one is just like kind of maintenance like like chop maintenance it's like I got to make sure that you know I can I'm continually developing and maintaining my skills on the instrument so that I can keep you know be ready for anything because if I if I let it slide a little bit and then I get called to play this symphony thing with like a ton of moving parts then I'm uh, up a creek without a paddle a little bit. Sure. Um, so just being ready to do that. Um, and then the other part of that is kind of over the years, I've been able to develop a process of getting ready for for music like that. Okay. Um, the first thing is like, um, depending on the gig, I usually need to start looking at any written music about a week uh, or two weeks out. Um, sometimes it doesn't always work out like that. Actually, I was just down in Orlando at a conference um, and got a call to play uh, with about four three or four days notice a lot of really hard complicated jazz music with some some people in Miami um, and uh, so I had to accelerate the process a little bit or do that um, but that, that again comes back to the maintenance thing it's like you just got to be ready for anything sure um, but um, basically I usually spend a lot of time listening to recordings um, if I if there is a recording that exists of a piece I go seek it out and basically listen to it until I'm pretty sure I know what my part is without looking at the music anyways. Okay. Um, uh, Especially in jazz, such a huge part of what we do is um, just letting your ear be the guide um, and hearing your way through things and uh, having a connection between kind of your ear and your reflexes. Um, uh, This is a very simple and not very romantic answer, but it's the truth is uh, it's, it's all about, it, it is romantic in a way that you want to hear something and then just, like, be able to respond to it and kind of dissociate yourself from the whole process um, and let your, let your ear and your mind kind of do its thing. Um, but anyway, so listening to that music and internalizing it is really important. Then I'll usually spend a couple of days um, in a row where I just, you know, work out the sheet music, find any tricky fingering things, uh, find any tricky rhythmic patterns, stuff like that, just work it out so that I know what it is. And then usually, you know, three or four days before the gig, what I like to do is um, just go back to my normal guitar maintenance improving routine and then play through the music just once down. Um, You know, for whatever the gig is, just play it down once. And, And because that makes it so that when it comes time to reform, it's just like reading it down like I've done the past three or four days. It's not necessarily an event or something i need to be worried about nervous it's just what i've been doing the last couple of days um you know it's, it's kind of amazing it's it's similar to the way that um a lot of violinists will get ready to play at carnegie hall as soloists they'll they'll um put their suit on um they'll go to the living room they'll have people sitting there applaud like it's a real thing and they'll do the recital exactly like they're going to the night of so that when they're in the hall with real people that bought tickets it's they're just playing. It's just like they're in their living room. It's the same thing. It's the same thing we've been doing. Um, so that that's kind of like being prepared and um, and being ready for any opportunities that come up and finding different ways to, um, to stay organized in that regard, too, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I think one of the best pieces of advice somebody ever gave me in regards to playing live music um, is practice it until you're bored. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sounds like you have it down to a science to where you're like, yeah, it's, it's not a thing. It's just what I do.
1: That's I, I think that's there's some truth to that. Um, that's, 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 again, not very romantic, is it? Sure. But, <laughs> but you know, it's, I, I feel like a lot of people, you know, they ask, uh, you know,
0: like musicians of your caliber, mm-hmm. for example, you know, how do I get to play as good as you, expecting some kind of like, you know, where you got to, you know, drink three Dr. Peppers a day and, uh, you know, you stand on your head and smell your guitar or something like that. But it's like, just go practice. Yeah. Like, yeah, go, go play your instrument. And does the process
1: still work with songs so that you're not as fond of, (laughs) I mean, I have, I have, um, I've made the mistake before of, you know, kind of like ah oh, this song is not that interesting as I whatever. Yeah. And then the gig comes and I I kind of, you know, get it handed to me a little bit.
0: Yeah.
1: Um uh so it's a little bit a little bit of that is like removing my own emotions in the process. It's, you know, it's at the end of the day this is my career. Um and I love to do it, but you know, if I want to um, you know, if I want to buy my wife nice things, then I got to I got to do the <laughs> gigs well or they'll stop coming, you know. Kind of Yeah. Thing. yeah. For sure. Well, do you have any uh
0: you know, gig horror stories or anything <laughs> like that?
1: <laughs> you know, I've been I've been pretty lucky for the most part. Um I mean, I've done all the bar gigs that I think everyone's done where sure. like dr- two drunk guys getting a fight in the back and and stuff like that. Um Oh, I'm trying to remember now. There's one um You know, sometimes I find Let me let me put it this way. As I've gotten older, and not that I'm particularly old, um, but as I've gotten older, I've learned what gigs are worth putting up with some things for and what are not. Sure. Um, So, for example, if it's a gig where I'm playing, I don't know, uh, let's say country covers or something, and, um, you know, the band leader wants to rehearse um, you know, six hours for a day for two days a week for three weeks before the gig, um, on these like three chord songs is like, you know, maybe that's not as worth my time as, as other things. And I've done gigs like that where it's like, you know, I just like after the gig is over, just kind of want to like, you know, curl up in a ball and never touch my guitar again. Um, I've, I've been on the, the bandstand before with some egos before. Um, uh, I've had, I've had band leaders like chew out other members of the band for for, you know, not having the right gear. Or um, one time there was one where uh, a guy was um, I was playing with is a really amazing drummer that I won't I won't name sure, um, but uh, chewed out one of our um, one of the members of the rhythm section because um, he had assumed he could just go DI which into a hall that was totally equipped for DI was not an issue and had a great sounding di uh this guy chewed this guy out for not bringing an amp with him when he could just go di and and i think that that's not so much a horror story as like you know the the stage caught on fire and you right know, aliens invaded and things like that <laughs> but it is but it was in the sense of like wow this guy has like in in one minute this guy has sucked all the excitement and joy i've had about playing this gig out yeah. and now and now it's totally just like you know, I may as well be filling potholes at this point. Right, like it's it's the same level of enjoyment. Um, I did have um, this isn't a horror story. This is actually a kind of a a fun memory that I remember. Um, uh, about a year ago, yeah, almost exactly a year ago now, I was playing with um the Colorado Symphony doing the music of Danny Elfman, uh, and of course that's awesome. It was awesome, and he came out. He um, you know, if, if you don't know his music, he's written scores for everything i mean like the original batman series um the nightmare before christmas mm-hmm. he did that music all that kind of stuff like this really amazing music and he came out um and so we were doing uh we were rehearsing like i don't know it was big fish or something this sort of big fish or something like that uh and he came up to me afterwards and um you know I, i've been around enough that i don't get super starstruck anymore not that i don't have the utmost respect for these people because sure. i absolutely do but it's kind of you know, I'm I'm just excited to meet someone who's as such an amazing musician, made such an amazing contribution. Um so I, I look at it more that way than getting nervous. Um so he comes up to me, he's like, Oh my god, it's like Danny Elfin. Like this is so cool. Like this is an amazing composer, writes all this amazing music. Um and, and he comes up to me and he's like, Man, you sound really amazing. Like this is really great. And of course I'm on um I'm on, you know, on Cloud9. It's like, <laughs> oh, this yeah. is great. Um and he says, Well, I hate to Fudge everything up right before the gig, but um, do you have a different guitar? <laughs> and oh it's like, no! Uh, it's like no, I I don't. And of course I'm in Denver, and it's like the gigs later tonight. I don't have time to come back and get a guitar. Um, uh, he's like, this just needs more more sustain here, and and but you're doing great. This needs more sustain, <laughs> but but this needs more sustain, but but you're doing great, really. Um, and and so that was kind of a funny thing. And actually, it worked out that it just so happened that weekend. I had done a gig in Greeley. I was recording someone's album in Denver. I also had two or three symphony rehearsals and gigs that weekend, and I had a Sunday night bar gig all in Denver on the same weekend. So oh, my wow. God. So it was like, you know, I don't know, eight or nine engagements. Because of that, I had just kind of brought everything. Um, I Like most of my guitars, um, I think I have five or six here in Greeley um, you know, all my gear, all my amps, pedals, whatnot. And so I just so happened, I forgot at the time, but I remember that I had, um, the guitar that I needed at this house across town that I was staying at. Um, so it worked out pretty well. Um, nice, but yeah, funny little stories like that. I've been, I've been pretty lucky. I haven't, you know, no one's died on the gang or anything like that yet. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What
0: guitar were you playing? Just out of my own personal curiosity. Oh, for the Danny Elfman thing? Yeah.
1: Well, that show I needed... So, I could have... <laughs> I'm a guitar player, right? So, sure. on any gig, I could justify the use of as many guitars as I wanted. Absolutely. That's just what we do. Yeah. This is great. Um, for that specific gig, I needed an acoustic guitar, an arch-top hollow body of some kind, really just a hollow body of some kind, and a... Um, and he wanted a solid body on something. So I had the acoustic with me, um, and then I figured, oh, I can, you know, this is an electric guitar. I can just get away with using this. Um, it's I have a 66 Fender Coronado that's kind of like a thin line, fully hollow. It looks like a semi-hollow, um, but it's not. It's, it's fully hollow. It's kind of the same shape as a Gibson 335. Um, but I had that with me, um, and it just, I guess it wasn't sustaining enough. So I ended up... Um, uh, I used the uh, the PRS guitar that you were the second owner of, yeah. and I'm the fourth owner of. Correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as far as we know. As far as we know, yeah. I so. I don't plan on selling it, so I yeah. might be the last owner, at least for a long time. But, right. Um, but yeah. So thank you. You you, you bailed me out with Daniel. <laughs> awesome. <Oakman laughs> <through> well,
0: <laughs> you got to thank the guy that I originally just a story on that. I had a seven string guitar that I was trying to sell guy traded me a PRS for it. Mm -hmm. His PRS was worth way more than the seven (laughs) string I was selling. And I told the guy, I was like, dude, like, is it worth it for you? He's like, yeah, I need it for the band that I'm in. (laughs) And I was like, okay, cool. So then I bought it, sold it to Jess Mm -hmm. and then Jess sold it to you. Yeah.
1: Uh, how long did you have the PRS? Oh, maybe four days. Wow! Like, yeah, so it was you, not very long. I, I guess that's true. You you just saw it as something to flip.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I just I just wanted the money, and I, there were you know I played it quite a bit over those few days, and it was just like I was like, this is cool, but it's not. Ri- I'm a snob. I need 24 frets. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> so
1: man, that, that's hilarious. I kind of when I got the guitar, I was um I was a Strat player for a long time. Okay. Gotcha. And then I just like. Whenever I was playing, I was like, ah, I just, something's just not right here. And then I just kind of woke up one day and realized that, like, <laughs> it, it's like, you know, the first step in it to any journey is, like, admitting you have a problem, right? So it's sure. like, I'm not a Strat guy, yep. and I have to be okay with this. It's like you know, this it's all right. this epically cool guitar, and, and mine was sweet, too. It's I, uh, it's like, I don't know what color was it. It's like Arctic Freeze or something was the cool. color, like the gray, silver one. Um and it was like it's such a sweet guitar, and I sold it to one of my students. But it was like, it was it was surprisingly difficult for me. It was like, yeah, I'm not a Strat guy, and that's okay. Yeah, like I don't know why that was so hard for me to accept, <laughs> but but it was. Um, so I so I sold that, and then got your PRS from Jess. Well, not yours, but right the um, PRS, the PRS yeah. from Jess, and I love that thing, man. I, I, you know, I was actually it's funny we're talking about this because in the last couple of weeks I've kind of realized like. That is the one guitar that I have that I think I could take to any gig and it would be fine. Yeah. Um, symphony gig, easy. Um, jazz gig, I played it on Straight Ahead. Straight Ahead, fusion all that kind of crazy stuff. Jazz gigs, tons, great. Obviously, rock gigs, great. It has the coil tab. Yeah. So, country gigs, great. Um, I, I just, I love that guitar. Shout out to PRS. That's right, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm not currently... Uh, Sponsored or signs with anyone, so there you go. So uh. yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cut
0: you out a reel when I do my edit. We'll that's post right it on our TikTok and tag <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that'd be great. Um, oh, that's awesome.
1: You strike me as a stra- well, you I know you are a Strandberg guy. You love you know them.
0: they are very cool guitars. They mm-hmm. they are. I have my gripes with them, you know, um, but they're very unique instruments. Yeah, and, you know, and they're they're one of those instruments that. Um, you know, similar what you were saying about your PRS is they're very versatile, mm-hmm. um, and they are the most comfortable couch guitar I've oh, ever totally. played. And I actually, I, mean,
1: I just watched a guy in Florida do a big band gig with one.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, interesting. Well, and then there's um, Socrates, mm-hmm. UNC. He he's a Strandberg endorsed artist. Yeah, like him, and I think his son Liam is now too.
1: Well, okay, that's who was playing it. Yeah. It was, oh, really? It was, oh, okay, it was cool, Sox, yeah. It was Sox bands in Florida. Liam was playing guitar. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, wow. yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, yeah, that kid is Oh wizard. Play. <laughs> he can play, man. He's <laughs> he a little can. scary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every time he's one of those players that I see his stuff online and I'm like, man, I got to go practice. Yeah. Like it's not even like a, I don't want to play anymore. It's like I want to practice.
1: Totally, I don't. You know? I don't like to think about how old he is. I don't either. But <laughs> <laughs> and I
0: think I'm a little bit older than you, even. So, but that's neither here nor there. We can get off that conversation. Oh, I'm know. keeping my mouth shut. I was gonna say. Uh, <laughs> so you obviously go to UNC, mm-hmm. um, and you're involved with. The Jazz Education Network, correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I'm still involved with Jen. I should say, so I was the president for a year. Okay. Um, I'm not anymore. Not, not because I I didn't get um, impeached or anything. I just didn't <laughs> seek re-election because I was... Okay. Um, I'm working on my dissertation right now, and it was like, I'm going to let you guys do this. I'm going to... This I have plenty to do. This no, is this there were no p- classified documents in your garage. <laughs> <is it>? <laughs> 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 oh my god. I thank God. I don't I don't have a garage, so so they're they're That's hidden so somewhere else in the apartment. Cool. Oh. So, so Jazz Education Network is a um it's a organization that was a national organization that started as started as the National Association for Jazz Educators in like I think it started in the seventies or eighties. Um, and then eventually became the International Association of Jazz Educators. That organization folded um, maybe, gosh, that would have had to have been maybe late 90s, early 1000s. Oh, okay. Um, but out of its ashes roo- rose Jazz Education Network. And it's basically just the professional organization for people to teach jazz music. You know, people, high school educators, musical educators, uh, collegiate professors, professional musicians, all these people that teach jazz in any capacity. It's like their organization. Um and so they are this big national organization, there's a big conference every year, it moves in different spots. Um and then within that there's local chapters at universities. So UNC happens to have the largest student chapter in the excuse me. UNC happens to have the largest student chapter in the country. Um I think it usually is somewhere between uh fifty and a hundred students, which is a lot for a university jazz program. I mean sure. most universities have like, you know, ten jazz majors would be a pretty sizable department. Um and we have, you know, a hundred, I think over a hundred jazz majors now. Wow. Um but essentially what we do is we um we bring in national touring artists to interface with our students and provide educational clinics. So Um, For example, when I was president, we had the Jeff Hamilton trio and he's a um, World-renowned drummers played with everybody uh, and reason everybody he's like the dude Um, And that was just one we had ten people like that come in um, During during my time as president and so we you know, we managed the money for that. We plan events. We do fundraising stuff we um, uh, You know all that kind of stuff sell t-shirts, whatever Um, and uh, another thing that we do is we uh, are, like, advocates for change in, like, education and in the the community of musicians. Um, so one event that I, I know you guys know a lot about was uh, the Women in Jazz Day that we yeah. did. Um, yeah. And that you guys actually, um, you guys contributed to, which I'm still very grateful for. Um, Happy to help. Yeah, it was great. Um, so that was uh, it was a day where we had um, Galen McKenney who has the distinction. She's a Detroit drummer. She was the final drummer that Aretha Franklin personally hired. Wow! Before she passed away. Wow! Yeah, so she played with Aretha Franklin and everybody who's anybody. Um, she's it's a funny story to to think about um, when she took when she got the call too. It's like she got a call from Aretha Franklin and she's like, "No, this is not Aretha Franklin." So she hung up (laughs) and then got a call again, uh, and like she said that she was driving at the time and she's like, "No, it's really Aretha Franklin," and she almost crashed her car. Had to pull over. Oh my my God! Well, I mean, yeah. I for some to be I, fair, yeah. I would too. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, we had her. We had Don Clement, who's an amazing nationally known, p- internationally known pianist, who happens to live in Denver, um, and all these great musicians. They did clinics, master classes, um, you know, all this stuff, talks, panels for uh, not just uh, women and non-binary students, but for all the students. Um, and then. Uh, one thing that I remember really um, was powerful for me was we kind of split up where uh, there was a women and non-binary only jam session led by these people. And then the guys went and did, like, a roundtable discussion with one of the uh, the the women to talk about, like, how better to support that. Because, of course, there's this awesome. big disparity between, in education, like, like why are there no women playing trombone or trumpet or things like sure, that? Sure, yeah. Um, and so so they never get to do a jam session. That's just like only women and non-binary people. And there's a certain level of, um, intimidation already in place at the jam session. But if you're like the only, I can, ima- I, I mean, I don't know cause sure. I am not a woman, but, um, if you're the only woman who would show up at a jam session, that's a bunch of dudes all trying to shred at the same time. Like that right. would be pretty intimidating. So sure. I know that was really special for a lot of, a lot of people that participated in that. Yeah. Um, Uh, so that was great. And then they did an evening performance as well. Um, so all that to say, like the jazz education network is like kind of a organization that is involved in the community, um, (laughs) makes, makes UNC's jazz program really a special place to study music and is, um, yeah, just a a great thing to be involved with and a part of, and we're really lucky to have it here in town.
0: Yeah, that's Uh fantastic. Why is it, do you think that UNC has such a prolific Music program, do you, do you think it just yeah. s- kind of started off that way, or did it kind of yeah. snowball over time? Or,
1: I think, um, I think we've just been really, really fortunate with our um directors, and uh, sure, of course, these are people who write my letters of recommendation. I didn't mean to put you on the <laughs> no, spot, no, but. Name names? <laughs> so, so, no, no it's, it's all great, we no, uh, not at all, actually. Um, so the jazz program started, I believe, in the 80s with um, with Gene Aitken. is kind of a legendary educator. I know a lot of people around here know him. Um, uh, and then Dana Landry took over, I believe, in, I want to say 2003, I believe. Um, and he is like, if there was ever someone who was born to run a collegiate jazz program, it was Dana Landry. He's unbelievable at his job. I can't believe it. Um, Totally devoted to the program to his job um, loves students so much pour so much into that um, And as a really good advocate for for jazz in higher ed. He was the one who got uh, The bachelor's degree established the master's degree established the doctoral degree established uh, he just started uh, spearheaded the effort to start a new degree farting a new degree starting in the fall called um the the bachelor of music in latinx music wow uh, oh, yeah great. which is really cool and yeah. there's also a new degree starting about um that's just a general program it's called an ungated program where you don't have to audition to get into the program um so anyone who wants to study music in college and maybe didn't have the opportunity to take lessons or opportunity, you know access to things like that that would allow them to get into a really high level music program those people can still come and study music at the collegiate level without having that barrier in the way. Um, That's nice. Yeah. So so Dana's just amazing at it, and um, he's an unbelievable director too. You know, um, part of being a doctoral student there is you play in, um play in the ensembles, and I'm in Dana's band. It's the Lab One. It's um, basically the the school big band, and um, he's just an amazing director. Actually came here from a rehearsal with him, and he's intense, but he can get musicians to do what he wants with without saying too much it's it's, it's amazing I don't really know how he does it um, but I, I frankly I think it's because of Gene and because of Dana that we have such amazing programs here and because of um, the faculty as well so I mean gosh all the the jazz faculty are just unbelievable um, the reason I came here in the first place um, I was actually I did my master's at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester New York and I had a really Really nice um, opportunity to stay there and do my doctorate there after I finish my masters. Um, but the guitar teacher here, Steve Kowalczyk, is like, I think he might be the greatest guitar player I've ever met and heard in person. He's just, just it's stupid, really, how good he is. And and it's frankly, it's upsetting to compete with him for gigs half the time. But I get to, <laughs> s- but I get to, I get to study with him and hear him play all the time, which is really just an amazing, um, amazing thing to have, you know, um, one of the great guitar players of our time, you know, teaching. And he actually, Jeff Hamilton, I mentioned earlier, um, this past year, he actually was hired by Hamilton to be in his touring band. So he's, so he's like the real, the real deal. Um, and of course, Jim White is an amazing drummer and, uh, Drew Zaremba, who I studied composition with is amazing. And, um, you know, the whole faculty is really awesome. So, I think it's Gene and Dana and then the people that Dana has brought here are the reason that there's such a great thing happening at UNC. Awesome. Nice.
0: Yeah, it's uh, you know, funny story about uh, Jeff Hamilton. Um, we sell his brushes on our website more than mm-hmm. any other product. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I, we can't keep them in stock. Oh. It's crazy. And I'm not a
1: drummer, but mm-hmm. from what I understand –
0: people love them yeah they're great brushes and he's
1: it's partly too because he's known as someone who has just unbelievable brush technique if you just go look up his stuff on youtube it's like you know he's doing things with you didn't even know were possible with brushes awesome um but yeah yeah he's he's the best and that does not surprise me yeah (laughs) so in addition to you know
0: um all of these gigs that you're doing and that you've done, and you know, being in multiple different schools, music programs, you wrote a book. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us about that? <laughs>
1: yeah, um, I'm working on another one too. Okay, <laughs> wow. that's that's a little different thing, but okay, but the one you're talking about, um, so, so I it's kind of it was an accident that it happened that way. It's like okay. a, I always tell people I like, accidentally wrote a book, which was <laughs> like the greatest thing that ever could have happened in my career. But yeah. Um. Uh. So when I was at Eastman, I remember, um, you know, someone someone had mentioned like the way to get connected with someone you really admire, want to be connected with, is just do something that will grab their attention. Um, and actually, Pat Metheny, uh, who I mentioned earlier is so one of my guitar heroes, um, he said the same thing. He's like you know, if a kid showed up at a festival and could just play all of my music, like at a really high level, like that would be something that I would notice. So it was like, okay, well maybe I should do that. Um, so the guitar player, Kurt Rosenwinkel is kind of this internationally known guy. He kind of, um, he kind of figured out how to bring the rock and metal aesthetic into jazz. And I don't mean like by his tone or anything, but like the way he plays the fluid, the fluidity with he, which he plays the instrument He's just an just a ridiculous player. Um, and someone I really admired and his record star of Jupiter is maybe my favorite record of all time. I just, everything that I love about music is encapsulated by that record. And it's like, again, that's one of those things. It's like, I have to know what this is. Um, so I, during my master's, um, which I, again, it's like, I, I don't really know. I didn't think at the time that like, Oh, I'm doing a master's. Maybe we should do that and not write a book. I, Okay, whatever. Um, I, I just transcribed um, all of his solos from that record. There's 12 tracks, and I just wanted to know what he was doing, so I transcribed all of them and engraved them, and I brought them into my teacher one day, and he's like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, I did it really set in that was like, oh, this is like – and it, it took me like a semester or something like that, and it hadn't really occurred to me that that was like, again, out of the ordinary. It was like, I wanted to do this, so I just yeah. kind of did. You and didn't even
0: realize like – what you had really
1: done. Yeah, it was like it it I don't even think about I'm not even saying that it is all that hard or something. It was just like this is what I wanted to do. So I put all my time and energy into it. I I must have like not slept and um I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. So that's probably how it was able to get it done. Um, More free time. um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um uh but yeah I so I did that and then I had this and he's like you should show this to someone like you could get this published kind of thing. Um, it's like, okay. So I, I did a little research and found out that Mel Bay had published a bunch of his other stuff. Um, other books about Kurt and stuff like that, but no one had done anything like this. So I just showed to them, I was like, uh, Hey, do you guys want this? And they just, they were into it. so they said yes. And, um, through that, I got connected with Kurt. Um, and now he's, uh, he's a friend of mine and I took some lessons with him and Um, did actually did another book project with him, um, that he's releasing, I think in a couple months here, like a book of his compositions, but, um, I got connected with them and yeah, it was, it was just a thing where it's like, I had this thing that people were interested in and then I, um, just showed it to them and they were, they were into it. So, so once I kind of turned it into them and did all the editing stuff and stuff the way they wanted it, it was kind of out of my hands. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that was that was the main the main thing. It was just like I got really lucky that something that I was interested in was something that other people were also interested in. And yeah. so I uh, you know basically my, my study and practice gets to help other people now which is pretty cool.
0: All right. Well, we you know we've talked about everything that you've done, maybe not, not everything, but a lot of things that you've done. Sure. I mean, you have done more I feel in the past 10 years than a lot of people have done in their life. <laughs> I appreciate it. <You> know. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you, what do you got coming up? Like what's on the agenda? For well,
1: so the big one, um, the biggest thing I'm on right now is that the book I kind of mentioned earlier, um, is, is right now in the form of my doctoral dissertation, but it's, my plan is to turn it into a book, um, and have that published as well. It's a biography of Emily Remler. Uh, she was a great guitar player in the 1980s who was, um, totally into, had the bebop thing, but then also moved towards the more rock-influenced, blues-influenced thing. Um, at the end of her life was really into fusion. Um, she's someone who was a huge, famous rising star, toured all over the world for a couple of years, but died really young at 32. Um, and so she hasn't necessarily gotten the credit that she deserves. And part of that might also be because she's, you know, was a woman in a male-dominated field as well. Yeah. Um, so, so I, you know, just love her music so much that I you know, wanted to take this opportunity. If I'm going to do a giant project as it is, I wanted to do something that would benefit the larger guitar and music community. Um, but also be something that, um, you know, could lift up someone who really deserves to be known by a lot of people. Um, so that's the big thing right now. Um, I'm also doing at least two records this spring. One of them is mine. One of them is someone else's that I'm going to be on. Um, UNC Lab 1 is doing a record with the jazz singer Carmen Bradford. She was a, uh, a Count Basie alum who sung all over the world and then, uh, is one of the great jazz singers of our time, so that'll be really exciting. Uh, and then I'm doing an album of original music uh, probably in April. Uh, so I got a couple of grants. I got the Greeley Arts Alive grant, and the, um, which is like a local thing, and then the Pathways to Jazz one, which is based in Boulder, but it's kind of like it's international jazz record grant grant. Entity, um, I got a couple those two grants to to do a record of my music that's called Compassion, um, and this actually will be the first time I'll say anything publicly about it, which is kind of okay, cool. <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, but it's with um, uh, it's it's with a local rhythm section, not Greeley, but Colorado rhythm section um, that I really love playing with. And then um, uh, Shane Ensley is the trumpeter for a band called Kneebody and is a Grammy winning or Grammy no- Grammy nominee, at least Grammy nominated player. Um, on trumpet and then um ryan Keverly, the trombone player is a internationally known guy tours actually i think he's leaving straight from denver to paris after the record date um, wow. is going to be wow. on it as well um so i'm really excited about that um to kind of do that and it's all original music and then two pop covers um cool uh, i did um I did. I have a jazz arrangement of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, the Tears for Fear song. Very nice. Yes. Um, and then the day I submitted my grant applications, I was like, man, I'd, I'll do this. I don't even remember what it was. I think it was going to do something from a Marvel movie, movie or something. Because um, I wanted, you know, I love pop music and love putting it in new context. But I also love, um, I love to take, um, you know, spins and wanted to do something that would get attention beyond just the jazz world. Sure, yeah, say. yeah. Um, and the right about the time that I... Uh, I submitted the grants was about the time that stranger things season five, the first part came out. And of course everybody knows that Kate Bush song that running right. up that hill. It's like, yeah. okay, well I have to do this now because the song is, it's a great song and it's, um, you know, it's going to be the most popular song in the world for like 10 years, probably. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and, and if it, and at least definitely when the next season comes out of stranger things. So, so I was like, okay, so I changed to do that. Um, so those will be on the record and then a bunch of stuff I've written over the past year or so. Um, yeah, but I'm really excited about it because it's something that, um, you know, I did a record in, that I released in 2020 and then did kind of an impromptu one that came out this past year. Um, but it's something that's been a, a kind of a giant labor of love and something that I really wanted to do and something that um, is a chance to document where I am as a musician and a person, which really excites yeah. me as well. So
0: yeah, because you put out the um, uh, the Manhattan Project mm-hmm.
1: the, the that album. was in yeah. August 2020, and yeah. then this past August um, 2020, 2022. Yes, um, what year is it? Um, right. Um, <laughs> uh, the drummer Bobby Weens and I, who's a he's a um, Colorado guy, really great drummer oh, yeah. he, he's me on this record as well actually yeah
0: um, we, uh, we try to recommend he he has some cards here we try to recommend him to yeah. people who are looking yeah. for lessons totally so.
1: um, amazing drummer he and I um, uh, th- it was a funny thing it was I, I was supposed to go to a conference in Texas to to play and um, it got cancelled basically because of COVID Um, and so I was like well I've I've like two weeks to do nothing now this is great Um, and we, we kind of learned to love like just playing duo with each other, just drums and guitar, some structured things, some unstructured things. It always seemed to end up being something that people were interested in, um, or that we found enjoyable. So, um, we got this crazy idea. It's like, actually, I, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I, I always say it was funny. It was like, Hey, wouldn't it be funny if we just like threw up a bunch of mics and just did this like that would be really yeah. funny if we did that yeah. yeah and then we did and it was hilarious um but we just threw up a bunch of mics in his basement um and recorded uh just 10 tracks that are basically all improvised um and actually what's funny is they were all improvised but some of them um came out sounding so much like songs that i later went down and wrote them down and now i just play them on gigs cool wow. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> yeah. um yeah, so we did that and we had um, Colin Bricker down at Monty Fine um, kind of mix them and master them and put that out and yeah, it's just a kind of a funny thing um, but this one this one coming up is really um, going to be something that I invest ha- have invested and in, will invest a lot of time in and um, fortunately I have these grants to really do it the way I want and hire publicists and all that kind of stuff so Good. Um, So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I have going on. Um, my long-term goal is to get a teaching gig like a tenure track gig at a institution of higher education just because i have benefited like we talked about earlier i've been so impacted and benefited so much from having great music educators in my life that i want to do that for other people um so that's always kind of on the back of my mind too is applying for a bunch of things but um like here at unc unc doesn't need me right now because they have steve (laughs) not yet (laughs) um yeah, um, but a place like UNC, if I were to be yeah. so lucky to work at a place like that would be would be awesome. Um yeah, maybe if Steve when Steve becomes an international superstar, which could happen any day now, maybe I'll maybe I'll uh see if UNC still needs someone. But yeah. um but yeah, I, I'd be happy to be anywhere. Nice. Right.
0: Well, you know, wrapping things up. Obviously, you got a lot of experience, you know, for those students that are you know, just starting out or they're going through school and they're having a tough time. What what kind of advice would you
1: give those students? I think the thing that I always um this is kind of funny, it's funny, it's going to work out this way to go full circle. Um, but the thing that I always tell people is to, um, you know, when things are hard and, you know, you're in school and a lot going on and, you know, Gosh, school is this huge amount amalgamation of like constant money problems and you know Mental health issues and no time for yourself and figuring out who you are kind of thing I think that what I always Was really helped by was just remembering why I did this in the first place and for me it was that African marimba thing in boston like just remembering what that was and how special that was and how connected I felt to the people around me and that it felt like you know, like When I get to those places, it's like this is really something that um, makes the world a better place and that people appreciate and that improves the quality of people's lives. Um, And just remembering that for me has kind of kept me going through those times that have been a little more challenging.
0: Awesome. Well, great, man. Well, like I said in the beginning, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to us. and. I look forward to uh, seeing everything that you're you're working on, man.
1: Right. So. I appreciate it. Thank you guys we'll for watching. Uh, thanks for having me, and um, I'm sure that I'll be in tomorrow because I'll need pics or something. <laughs> <laughs> <For> sure, <laughs> here. Right but on.
0: Cool. Right on. Well, thanks, man. Thank you. That's a wrap. That, that, was, great. Was, great. Yeah, that was great. Oh, thank awesome.
1: you. Oh my God, I could last listen to you for another couple of hours. I oh gosh. I, I, I